At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. The old world is dying. The new world struggles to be born. Now is the time of monsters. Uh, with those words from Gramsci, I welcome you to the Time of Monsters uh, podcast, hosted by The Nation magazine and available wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, um, I'm very grateful to uh, Mika Whitman for the music. Uh, and to the nation for hosting it. Uh, today, I wanted to take up the um, January 6 hearings that have been going on. Uh, as you continue to go on, even as uh, I'm recording this podcast on Tuesday, uh, and uh, maybe survey um, uh, what's happened so far and where things are going. And I'm very grateful to have uh, Greg Sargent of the um, Washington Post, who's been a very acute observer uh, of American politics in general, and also these particular hearings. Um, and uh, I wanted to maybe start with uh, Greg's most recent column, um, just about uh, how like Trump is sort of openly saying he's going to do this all again, and uh, uh, the, 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 what that tells us about you know what we've learned about the hearings. Uh, do, do you want to say something about that? Yes, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Um, and it's a great podcast name, by the way. Oh, yeah, I'm very happy for it. Yeah, yeah. All <laughs> thanks to uh, Gramsci, and uh, I, I believe actually Slava Zizek is responsible for the translation. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, I, I think a, a very big moment happened on, I believe it was Friday, um, when Trump lashed out at Mike Pence over the most recent revelations that were brought forth at the uh, one of the earlier January 6th committee hearings, uh, he essentially said, um, Trump was a, uh, Trump essentially said Pence was a coward for not going through with it. And then he issued a bunch of other sort of meaningless denials about what happened on January 6th, saying it was just like a, you know, a riot that got out of hand or like a protest that got out of hand, even worse. But the critical point is that the hearings have demonstrated with, with great force that Trump knew that he was pressing Mike Pence to commit an illegal scheme in subverting the electoral count in Congress. And in the face of those revelations, his only response has been, damn it, Pence wouldn't go through with it. What a coward. <laughs> so I think we can take that as a very clear sign of full intent to do it again, if there's no accountability. You know, I, I, absolutely. And I think like, uh, in addition to Trump's own words, we have other reasons to think this because of the sort of MAGA candidates that are kind of like winning a lot of primaries. Um, uh, and also the sort of changed political condition, because I think Trump's scheme um, in 2000 um, um, might not have worked because the Democrats had controlled the House. But, you know, like there's a 
very strong possibility that the Republicans will control the House, uh, you know, in the midterms and therefore will control the House, you know, during the next presidential election. So do you want to talk yeah. a little bit about that? Like, like why, sure. why we have every reason to think that, like, if there's another close election, uh, Trump or one of his protégés uh, will do something very similar. Well, there are two critical ingredients there, and you got a, one of them when you said that uh, Republicans are very likely to control the House in 2024 and early 2025. What that means is that if a Republican governor, say Doug Mastriano, who's running for governor in Pennsylvania, certifies a fraudulent set of electors for Trump or uh, his anointed successor in defiance of the popular vote, then House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and his Republicans in the House can simply decide to count those electors, even if the Senate doesn't count them. If the House counts them under the current Electoral Count Act, they stand. And so the two critical ingredients are A, Republican control of the House, and B, Republicans in positions of control over the certification process. That's the that's the mechanism right there for for a coup that could work. Yeah, no, I I think that's right, and I think I mean one of the things that you know like uh, previous reporting and then also I think these hearings have kind of clarified is the degree to which um, uh, Trump's coup failed. It was because of Republican officials in the sort of key positions. Uh, who resisted yes. his overtures? Uh, you know, including Mike Pence, most famously, but also a lot of like uh, uh, lower officials, uh, uh, the Secretary of States of uh, in various states. You know who Trump was trying to intimidate. I mean, that's the other side of this. And you know, like uh, American democracy dodged a bullet in um, uh, 2021 uh, because uh, uh, the, uh, Republican officials resisted. But I mean, if you if those Republican officials are replaced are now called rhinos and are <laughs> replaced by you know MAGA candidates who say uh, who are openly running on saying they will carry out what Trump says, then yeah. then we're in a, a very different position. Actually, I think you're you're bringing up a really important point by bringing in the ad by the the um, the, the candidate who's running the rhino hunting ad. Mm -hmm. um, you know what we're seeing is more radicalization in in the face of all these revelations. Instead of saying, "Oh wow, you know, we dodged a bullet and we really came close to the abyss," many Republicans in that kind of vein are saying, "You know what? You're damn right. We tried it. We're going to try it again next time." Take Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania. He is campaigning on what is essentially an explicit promise to be willing to use the powers of the governor's office to, uh, to certify fake electors in defiance of the popular vote. He endorsed a legal theory that would okay that for a state legislature in, in 2020. And there's simply no doubt that if he has his hands on the governor's mansion, that he will use that power to that end. Um, in fact, you know, I think that it's fair to say that people like Mastriano are essentially campaigning on a promise that as long as they're in power, a Democrat won't win their state in a future presidential election. 
Yeah, no, I, I think that that's absolutely right. And I would also like sort of add um, to the sort of list of evidence along this line, the sort of uh, Texas Republican Party, which is, you know, like the Republican Party of the largest red state, you know, like it's not a, a little thing. And, uh, you know, in their most um, uh, recent uh, platform, which they just voted on uh, over the weekend, uh, you know, like a lot of radical um, uh, things against uh, uh, gay rights, actually saying that the gay lifestyle, you know, like is an abomination or words. And they don't fact. recognize trans rights at all. Yeah, uh, exactly. Sure. And, and well, yeah, or, and, uh, trans people should not be recognized as people, like, 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 like actually, which is like an even more radical position, right? Saying that there are no trans yeah. people. So this is like an openly eliminationist position, like that, you know, uh, but but also in vain of this, like, you know, the uh, issue of democracy, you know, saying that the Voting Rights Act of 1964 uh, should be rescinded. So, I mean, that's a very radical platform. Um, and it speaks to like, you know, a, a party that believes um, th that they should be able to use the political system to stack the deck in their favor, and that anything that stands in their way, like the Voting Rights Act, you know, one of the pillars of American democracy, and one of the things that actually, you know, made America a democracy, as against, you know, the um, uh, a partial apartheid regime that had previously existed. Like they want to rescind that. So, so I mean, like the Republican Party is in a kind of very um, uh, dark place, and so there's a real danger. I mean, like I think, you know. Yeah. Some people can get very cynical, you know, about political rhetoric and whatnot. But I mean, like, I just don't think anyone can look at both what happened in the coup and what is happening with the Republican Party and not see that there's a danger here. Right. I think that's right. And think about Kevin McCarthy. I mean, he, he, here's a person who was screaming on the phone at Trump to call off the rioters. And Trump said to him something along the lines of, well, Kevin, you know, I guess they're more upset about the election than you are. Um, <laughs> And in the aftermath of January 6th, when, when the horror was fresh in people's minds, um, sorry. That's okay. In the aftermath of January 6th, when the, when the horror was very fresh in people's minds, uh, he, um, he actually confessed privately that this was an extremely serious matter that deserved accountability and so forth. I don't know if he put it exactly that way, but something like that. And um, his shift after that, I think, is extremely ominous. His shift to essentially running the cover-up um, on Trump's behalf and to dismissing any sort of effort at a real accounting and reckoning as illegitimate, I think, sends a terrible signal that many leading Republicans, even ones you wouldn't think of as being in the kind of insurrectionist Trumpist vein, are deciding that in order to keep his voters in the Republican coalition, they've got to essentially continue feeding those tendencies. And this is the same Kevin McCarthy who will be running, probably be running the House when uh, the next uh, electoral count takes place. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And maybe we can um, uh, actually stick with the Republicans for a few more minutes. I, I mean, one can think about it in uh, once uh, uh, as two kind of broad camps, and you've seen this all through the Trump era. Of there's on the one hand the sort of fanatics who like really want to do this stuff, support Trump all the way, have no regard for democracy or norms, and 
on the other camp, they're like figures who like on some level know that this is wrong, might not do this on their own, but then are also like so partisan that like, you know, they'll stick with their party no matter what. And, you know, if Trump is the leader, they stick with him. And these are the people, I mean, I think the summer of uh, 2016 was the turning point. Once Trump got the nomination and became secure, they basically decided, you know, uh, in for a penny, in for a pound. Like, we're going to stick with this guy um, no matter what. And their role has been to, like, sort of privately, you know, say, uh, uh, offer reporters, like, uh, comments like, oh, we don't approve of this. This is not good. We, we wish Trump were not doing this. And then publicly go along with everything. Uh, so, um, I mean, like, do you think that's a fair assessment of like where yeah. the I, the one nuance I'd add to it is that after 2020, especially when Republicans lost those two Senate seats in Georgia, in part certainly because of Trump's uh, insurrectionism. Um, uh, once that happened, it looked like there was a kind of fleeting moment where Republicans were kind of prepared to, to say that this is not acceptable in a leader of their party, but they kind of backed off that position very quickly. And I take that as a sign that they really think that they need to, to continue feeding those tendencies in order to keep the Trump voters in the Republican coalition. I mean, you know, Trump really did have a very unique talent for bringing out a certain type of low propensity conservative voter and really juicing them to an extraordinary extent. And they, I, there was a very telling exchange, I think, involving Lindsey Graham a little while ago, where he was talking about one of the punitive acts being brought against Liz Cheney. And he said something like, Liz Cheney has made a determination that the Republican Party can't thrive and survive without tr with Trump, right? And then Graham said, I've made a determination that we can't thrive and survive without Trump, right? Mm -hmm. um, and to me, that's a sign about which what's necessary to keep those Trump voters in the party so it can keep growing. Let me, let me rephrase that, actually. Lindsey Graham's quote was more like, I've made a determination that the Republican Party can't grow without Trump. Liz Cheney has made a determination that the Republican Party can't grow with Trump. And that was actually, in a weird way, very candid on Lin Lindsey Graham's part. And I think that is clearly part of the calculation. Yeah, no, no, I think that's that's absolutely right. I mean, and, like, to be frank, um, uh, you know, what everyone can say about the morality of Graham's uh, position and, like, you know, the harm that it's do uh, doing to American democracy, um, there's some realism in recognizing that, you know, the Trump base, let's, which the hardcore Trump supporters who, let's say, are like 30 or 40 percent of the GOP, um, if those voters stay home or, you know, demobilize, then the Republican Party is in big trouble. So, yeah. I mean, th th that's the kind of like um, uh, dynamic that's... Um, uh, at issue. Um, and I think since you, you brought up um, Liz Cheney, I mean, I, I do think that, yeah, we should acknowledge that there's this, you know, we talked about the hardcore MAGA people and then also these people, the more cynical um, um, Graham type that are like, let's, you know, we need these voters. We'll go along with Trump for that. And there is this like, you know, third faction of like Liz Cheney of the sort of Republicans 
uh, have taken the, you know, um, uh, what I see is a more honorable course of, you know, like, no, this is too much, you know, we're Republicans, but like what Trump has done is wrong. Um, and, uh, you know, this never Trump faction, I mean, like I, I've written a lot about them and I have sort of this conflicted feeling. I mean, like, obviously, you know, like there's, there's uh, all honor to people, you know, who will like take a position that's politically costly and like is going to end their career in their party. Uh, uh, there's real nobility in that. Um, the, my sort of like issue of caution is like, I think that this group gets a lot of play in the media and in out of proportion to maybe their numbers. And yeah. to that extent, like it obscures, uh, you know, acknowledging the fact that actually the first two factions, you know, the Trumpist and the people who are like uh, uh, jumping on the Trump bandwagon out of opportunism. I mean, that's the majority. That, that is a Republican party. Yes. The, the never Trump people are a minority. Um, so that's one caution. And I guess my other caution is to some degree to, to uh, work with these never Trump Republicans and to get them on board, you occasionally have to make compromises. And I think we, I wrote about this for, in my column in the nation, uh, but what one aspect is like, it seems like from reporting from your own paper, the Washington Post, like um, to get um, Liz Cheney on board, they, uh, the committee had to agree, like, you know, like not to investigate um, Jenny Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Um, and that might change. I mean, like there's new revelations and that might change, yeah, yeah. but also like other Republican uh, who are complicit. And so the, the narrative that is really coming out of the committee is really narrowly focused on Trump and Eastman and a few of the cronies. And then, but the rest of the Republican party, including people in the White House who are described as, you know, team normal, those are the good guys, right? Like, and so th th that's a narrative that's like, obviously, you know, very, um, um, uh, would please someone like Liz Cheney. I'm not sure if it's like the most accurate narrative. And, and so I think that there's a kind of like cost in, 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 in working yeah. with those. But, but I, I think you, you and I might disagree on this or you might have another point of view. Well, no, I, I think there probably is a cost in the sense that, and, and I, by the way, I, I do agree with you that the outsized attention granted to the never Trump types in the media might actually create a bit of a distorted picture um, of what today's Republican Party really has become. I'm, I'm a little sympathetic to the committee on this, and I'll tell you why. So one really crucial thing the committee has to do is to try to demonstrate that Trump had deeply corrupt intent right? In other words, that he absolutely knew that he was urging Pence to undertake an illegal scheme and, and that he, he knew that he had lost the election. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company.
serving collectors since 1945. And so forth. And to demonstrate those things, it's essential to sort of elevate some of the voices internally who said, look, you know, Mr. President, you can't do this. It's not legal. What you're, what you're telling Pence to do is illegal. You did lose. And, and so I'm sympathetic to the mission of the committee because that's really, really a critical thing to drive home to the country. I mean, we're in this weird kind of place where our discourse around this stuff is kind of so polluted that we're still kind of swimming upstream against kind of perceptions like, oh, Trump actually believed he had won. He was just being crazy, you know, or, you know, Trump just thought he was exercising his legal options. You know, he didn't really pay close attention to the details. Right. And, and, and so those things really have to be debunked because what's at risk is, a, is that the public ends up with this picture of what happened that's sort of like this. Right. OK, Trump really couldn't, you know, he couldn't um, accept that he had that he had actually lost. And OK, there were a bunch of Trump voters who were really angry and they, they kind of they got out of hand. Right. Knowing those two facts is very different from knowing what we're really learning, which is that Trump weaponized the mob to overthrow an election he, know, he knew he had lost in order to remain in power illegitimately. And so, you know, I, I totally agree with you that, that there is a, a downside risk of sorts to this. I'm just not quite sure how you avoid that risk, um, you know, with... Um, how you avoid that risk when it comes to 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 um, driving home the big story and what actually happened? Yeah, no, I, I think that, that I mean that's a very good point, and I think uh, I'll say this for the committee that it's like um, very uh, focused in a way, like almost like a sort of um, prosecutor, like you know, making a case right. before a grand jury or a jury, like like, like really presenting the evidence of Trump's culpability and laying out the timeline and making everything very clear. And I, I think that's a, like a great strength um, of the committee. And I also want to mention, I mean, like, to, there's some people on the left who are a bit cynical about all this, uh, partially because, you know, like, there's like, you know, like Trump has never been held responsible. So there's the attitude of a lot of people is like, well, you know, like, what's this going to amount to? It's just another uh, Kabuki theater. Uh, and also, but um, uh, I mean, like, I actually think if you look at like the attention that the committee hearings have been getting and, you know, the, the, the first one was watched by 20 million people, you know, which is like a lot of people uh, initially and like uh, through like um, streaming and others, like, like much more than that. And then the polling coming out of it, which is like, you know, like 60% of the American public, you know, like uh, believes Trump is guilty. Well, I mean, that, that's, that's a real achievement. Um, yes. so, 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 yeah, I, I think we have to, like, acknowledge, you know, like, the committee has really done something, and that it's important. Like, I mean, I think one way to think about it is that there is, a, as you say, a polluted information environment, deliberately so, created by people like, uh, things like Trump, uh, things like Fox News and the other right-wing yeah. networks. And also, but also just like life, like people can't concentrate on politics yeah. and these issues all the time. Other stories come up. So actually the actual act of reminding people what Trump did and like, in a way that like gets their attention, that, that, I think that's like really important. So, so right. yeah, I, I mean, I, I wanna like argue against the sort of the cynicism that some people on the left have about the committee and about the effectiveness 
Um, uh, having said that, like, I mean, there is like, you know, the issue of like, what comes out of this? And I think that there's like, you know, three different sort of paths. One is a sort of legislative pass, uh, path, which is to have sort of like laws that prevent something like the coup from happening again. And um, I, you raised some of these in some of your columns, but do you want to like, you know, like what, what that sort of legislative path would be? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, so obviously the most critical thing we can do, at least when it comes to the, to, the, to the question of how to avert another situation like this in particular, as opposed to how to shore up democracy in other ways, uh, is, to, is to revise the Electoral Count Act of 1887, which uh, governs how the presidential electors are counted in Congress. Trump exploited a lot of holes in that law to try and pull off his coup. Um, and this goes back to what we discussed earlier, which is that right now, all it would take if an election comes down to one state and it's close, all it would take is one Republican governor like Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania to certify a set of fake electors in defiance of the popular vote on one hand, and then on the other, a Republican controlled house to count those electoral votes, uh, Trump's electoral votes. And so one very simple, I, would, I don't want to use the word simple, the word simple should not be anywhere near the Electoral Count Act ever, because it's an incredibly complicated debate. Um, but, but just in a nutshell, what, you, what, what I think the smartest people studying this issue have come up with is that in order to avert a scenario like that, you build in an additional ju judicial backstop, whereby if there's a dispute over which set of electors is the legit one, um, then the courts weigh in and Congress is required to count the one that the courts say, count the electorals that the courts say are legit. Now th that's not a silver bullet, that's not a bulletproof solution. I mean, you know, if the courts do the wrong thing, then, yeah. then, then we're in trouble. But I, I would say that, and, and by the way, this is an objection you frequently hear on the left, you know, something like, LOL, you're really gonna leave it to the courts, you know? But it's either the courts or House Speaker Kevin McCarthy making the final call on which electors count, and I, I'd rather bet on the courts. Yeah, no, no, I, 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 I think that's, uh, I think that's uh, right. Now, the, uh, to, but to get to that, you kind of would need um, like uh, to overcome the filibuster, and you, you would need like sixty votes in the Senate. Yeah, which means like ten. Right now, you would need ten Republicans. So I'm sort of skeptical. Like, you know, like I, I, I think that's a, that's something that like should be done. And I think if Republicans cared about American democracy and it's something they should do in their own self-interest because you could all- That's so important. What you just said there is so important because look, right now, one of the big stories of the moment and credit where it's due is that one reason Trump failed, a key reason Trump failed in fact, is that some well-placed Republicans actually behaved honorably under tremendous pressure. I mean, we're talking about, you know, Brad Raffensperger, the, the Secretary of State in Georgia, who was directly pressured by Trump to invent votes to, to make him winner in Georgia, or some of the state legislators in uh, swing states like Michigan and Wisconsin, who were pressured to certify his electors instead of the rightful ones, right? So if we're all accepting that Republicans performed honorably under pressure, then if I'm a Republican watching this, I'm thinking, I don't want to get pressured next time to do something like this. So let's reform the system to make another attempt like this one less likely, 
for my own benefit because right yeah, yeah no absolutely yeah yeah no and then yeah, so but I think I mean I think it's in everyone's interest, and I think it's in their own self-interest as well. But I also don't think that they're going to do this for you know for all the reasons that we've discussed before. So so that's a legislative pathway. It exists, uh, but it's unlikely now. So the, I think the two other pathways that are open are the law enforcement pathway, uh, and then a sort of political pathway uh, uh, of making uh, this. Um, uh, a key election issue and running on this. Now, I want to go to just the law enforcement pathway. I mean, in some ways, I think the committee, my interpretation of the committee is that that's what they're pushing for, or they're making an argument on this. And the decision is up to Merrick Garland, but they're really aiming everything at this audience of one to like make the best case yeah. possible for Merrick Garland to act. Um, so do you, want to, do you want to say anything about that? Like, what are the yeah. sort of... I mean, so you know, you probably follow these debates, but on 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 the on on Twitter and so forth, you see a lot of why won't why won't Democrats explicitly call for prosecution at this point? And and I think there was a time when they were a little more vocal in that direction uh, before than they are now. I don't really see why that's critical, um, at least in terms of persuading Merrick Garland. You could make an argument that you want a lot of public noise to the effect that Trump broke the law mm -hmm. for the purposes of public understanding, right? Or even yeah. for political purposes. And I think that, you know, I can, I, I get that. But if we're talking about what's going to work on Merrick Garland, I think the idea that what Democrats say ex specifically about whether he should or shouldn't prosecute is going to have a limited impact. What's going yeah. to really difference is the fact, the set of facts they put forth. And, and I think you could even argue that given what we know about Merrick Garland, he might find it a, a tiny bit early, easier to, to, to move forward if there weren't explicit pressure. Yeah, no, I, 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 think, I think that's right. And I mean, in some ways I see the sort of hearings as a way to sidestep that debate by just like giving a public presentation that, you know, like isn't saying, you know, Merrick Garland do this, but just like making very well known all the reasons why Merrick Garland should do this. And then it's, it's out there. Um, uh, uh, but, you know, like, and then the, one can, um, this might be for a, a debate for another occasion, like, you know, like there's all these like issues about, you know, is a law enforcement solution ultimately workable? Like, you know, like there's real issues about like, you know, can you, um, uh, will this maybe strengthen Trump or uh, engender a martyr complex or, you know, put additional strains on democracy? But I mean, like, I, I think those are maybe issues for another debate, but I mean, like, I think that is like one sort of pathway. Um, and actually, I'll mention, I mean, I did, when we had talked about the legislative solution, one thing I didn't mention, you know, all of this could have been solved very easily, you know, if the Republicans had voted um, not just to impeach, but to uh, remove and like had sanctioned Trump in a way that he couldn't run again. Like, so, so, <laughs> so, but, but, but leaving all that aside. Um, yeah, no, that's, I, I, that's really, I mean, this comes down to Republicans not really um, acting in their own interests in some sense. I mean, but, but like Lindsey Graham said, maybe the party can't grow without Trump. Maybe they can't, yeah. Uh, the final solution, and maybe I think uh, I, I wanted people to be thinking about this as a solution, as rather than just like normal politics, is for um, 
uh, uh, through the avenue of politics. As we mentioned, you know, there's some of these MAGA candidates that are openly running on the sort of promise to carry out the coup that that failed uh, last time to, to do it successfully. And I mean, I think there's a, a real avenue and pathway for the Democrats, like on a, um, in the sort of political arena to make this an issue. Uh, and not just like when they're running against those candidates, but to like tar the Republican Party as the party that is sort of, you know, committed to overthrowing democracy, or at least um, has very powerful people who are committed to that and that they aren't willing to separate themselves from. So I mean, like, I mean, I, this is the, uh, this would be mean, um, you know, making this an election issue, elevating it. Um, and there's pros and cons to that, but like, you know, in terms of maybe there are other issues that are more important or more winnable, but what are your thoughts on that as like, so I, I agree with you. I, I mean, I think that when you saw Mallory McMorrow have her big explosive moment, she's a state senator from, from Michigan who had a very public moment of dressing down a Republican who accused her of being a groomer for your listeners. Mm -hmm. um, and everybody should watch that video, by the way, if you haven't. Uh, so I think what that revealed is that there's a real hunger on the part of, of Democratic voters to hear the party really step up and confront what the Republican Party has become. And I don't know if that doing that could overcome the structural deficits that the Democrats face. I mean, let's face it, we're in, it's, a, it's, two, it's a midterm two years after Democrats just won the White House. It's just a basic fact of US politics that Republican voters are in, in a huge lather and Democratic voters are going to be frustrated by certain failures of governance, which I think legitimately so. Um, and so I don't know if a, a very broad and powerful indictment of the Republican Party uh, as, as a major menace to democracy would be enough to overcome a deficit like that. But I think Democrats have an obligation to communicate with the country about what's happening here. And, and for that reason alone, they should be making a much more robust case. Now, in fairness, the January 6th committee is actually doing that, right? But, but no, they're in command of the news cycle, right? Yeah. And what does that tell you? When Democrats really get aggressive about indicting the opposition for what they've really become, they control the news cycle. All of a sudden, you're not hearing much about critical race theory or baby formula going to migrant babies, right? Um, the, right? The, the Republican noise doesn't cut through when Democrats are the ones making the noise. No, absolutely, absolutely. And then uh, not just making the noise in uh, a sense of uh, uh, getting attention, but actually making the noise on something that I, I think people do actually care about and right. is something uh, that people are passionate about. And I, I think their own voters are very passionate um, about. I mean, you had mentioned the Georgia um, uh, special elections. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's undeniable that that, that Trump's uh, uh, support for the uh, coup and the the efforts he was making towards the coup contributed to that election, and it contributed to the Democrats winning that election. And so, I do think that like there is a way in which going forward, um, um, uh, there's both political advantages, and I think it's also the uh, as you say, an obligation. It's the right thing to do that if there's this danger. Uh, to American democracy. By the way, there's actually a, a, a bit of polling that you brought up a poll earlier today that found that something like 60% of Americans 
believe Trump should be prosecuted. I, I don't remember what the exact number was, but it yeah. was a solid majority. But there's another number in there that I think is really telling. Uh, and, and it was similarly fine. It similarly found that a solid majority, maybe in the high 50s or 60, I can't remember exactly, but it was a solid majority, a clear majority, thought that the hearings are being conducted fairly. Mm -hmm. and what that says to me is that all the warnings that were thrown at Democrats all throughout this process, oh, if you kick Jim Jordan, Jim Banks off the committee, it'll look partisan, it'll give Kevin McCarthy a way to argue that the whole thing is a sham show trial, all that's just bullshit, right? When Democrats engage the argument, as you say, about something people care about, then they don't, the, the public doesn't sort of see it through kind of beltway prisms like, oh, Nancy Pelosi needs to be bipartisan. They're seeing a well-run, fairly run hearing. Yeah, you know, I, th I think that's absolutely right. And I, I think that's actually a very uh, a good place to end this. Uh, the, the hearings are continuing this week. Uh, but I mean, I, I do think uh, we're uh, in, in broad agreement. Like these are very well-run hearings and they have a very important message. And, you know, the most heartening thing in a very bleak political season is that the message is actually getting out there. Uh, and so I think that's something that, uh, to build on. So I want to, once again, thank Greg Sargent. Uh, his columns appear in the Washington Post with great regularity. He's, he's a very uh, pr uh, uh, prolific writer. Uh, and what's even more impressive, a prolific writer, which is not always the case, what's more impressive is a prolific writer of high quality. Uh, so I would encourage everyone to uh, uh, ch check out his columns. Thank you so much. It was a great discussion. Oh, uh, thank you. Yes. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.